Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And that's where we're going to stop, and you know the rest of this. And if you don't, go home and read it. If we had a little thought or a text or something of that along that line, it would be a beggar. We have too much pride these days to do that, don't we? We have too much. We want to be too affluent. We want to be too sophisticated. We, we want people's praise more than we do the approval of God. And, but I'm going to tell you something. If you get from earth to glory, you'll have to become a beggar. You'll have to hit your knees and you'll have to want salvation with all your heart if you're going to be saved by the grace of God. There's no other way to get it. And so here's a man, and if you read over in chapter 4, we learn that this man was above the age of 40 years old. He had been carried every day of his life down to the temple to beg. And I'm sure he counted on what little bit he could get to feed himself, maybe to pay others to help and assist him to survive and to get by. And what he didn't realize was what he needed couldn't fit in that little cup. But he had a different vessel for it, didn't he? <laughs> he had a soul. He had, he had something on the inside that was, that was empty that needed feeling. And so, <clears throat> you just pray for us for a few minutes. I'd really like for the Lord to use me and help me with this. And don't know exactly where we're going to go with it, but this is what the Lord laid on her heart. And now, they say, you know, that's part of the mission of the church to help the needy, and I agree. It's not to help the unneeded. And I believe this if we've got a member, if we've got a person in our community, if we've got an organization, if we got somebody that needs, then that's part of our duty to, to be there in the time of trouble and to help them when they're in need. But I also believe this. If you take one penny from the church that you don't need and you waste it or you throw it away, God will come to collect on you tenfold. I don't, I don't think God and God's people helps people for them to waste it frivolously and throw it away. But, but I, I'm here to tell you, the amount in the treasury that we have, 
is not the best thing we've got to offer. The amount in the checking account, Gayla could take out a check and she could write maybe 10, maybe 100, maybe 1,000, maybe 10,000. No check she could write could equate to the best thing we've got to offer. It couldn't pay for it. It wouldn't even touch it. So here's a man 40 years old and we read where Peter and John were going down to the temple. And this is the first thing I want to point out to you. Peter and John couldn't have helped that man had they not gone to the temple. He was there looking for something. We have folks that walk through the door every time the church doors are open looking for something. How are we going to help them if we don't gather together? He, he said they came together at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. I believe they'd already prayed before they got there. And when they walked down the street to go through the gate, they were walking together in one nine and in one accord. That's the only way we can help folks at Dutch Bottoms is to come in one mind and one accord to love one another and to love the sinners. Well, preacher, they're drunkards. Preacher, they're drug addicts. Preacher, they're harlots. Preacher, they're adulterers. They're sinners, just like you and I were. And the only difference is we've experienced the grace of God. I believe the Bible says there's grace to help in time of need. All right. They came together, came to the temple, the beautiful gate of the temple. Now I've heard, I've heard folks say this, that your church ought to be the prettiest building in your community, and I'll go along with that. I'll agree to that. But I also believe it's not the brick and the mortar that makes it so pretty. Here a few years ago, we, I guess you could say we remodeled. We took out the old carpet and we put down new. We repainted the walls. We did a lot of work from the front of the church to the back of the church. That's not the prettiest thing in the building. That's not what makes the gate beautiful. What makes the gate beautiful is when you see the church in power. When you see people obeying the Spirit and power of God, when that wheel within a wheel begins to turn, when the fire that's shut up inside your bones begins to burn brighter and brighter, when the church comes together in one mind and one accord, then the gates can swing open and beggars can get their every need supplied. All right. So here's a man helpless carried down to the beautiful gate. In need. Could not help himself. Somebody had to take... I didn't think about going all this way. Somebody had to take the time to carry him down there to the beautiful gate. And I guess I've touched on this before when we talked about the man that was sick of the palsy and how the one born of four went. You know, it takes maybe more than one person to bear a burden. But bearing the burden is a whole lot easier if I've got Johnny to help me, if I've got Marty to help me, if I've got John Holt to help me, 
We used to sing a song years ago, I'll help you carry your load. That's why we're in this together. The Bible said, and no man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. And if you love each other, and you'll want to see your children and my children saved just the same. I'm here to tell you today, we've got a world that's hurting. We've got a world of people that have no peace in their heart. We've got a world in turmoil, a world full of hatred. And the only light that shines in this dark day is the church of the living God. It's the only place that a poor old beggar can find some help. All right. Even the Ethiopian eunuch in the desert needed the church, didn't he? (laughs) He said, how can I understand this scripture? Reading out of Isaiah, he read it, but he didn't comprehend. I've taught school for 30-something years. I've seen kids like that. They could read every word in the text, but they couldn't tell you a bit more what it said when they got done than nothing. Sometimes we're like that, aren't we? How many times we get the Bible down and you've read it and then you notice something? You might have read that scripture a hundred times and then you notice something you'd never realized before. The old eunuch said, how can I except some man should guide me? He had a need. God fulfilled it. He sent a representative of the church down there, didn't he? Sent Philip down there to him. All right, so here's this man. Been laid at the gate every day for 40 years. Somebody had to bear his burden. We've got folks who've been laid at the gate. You've got some, and you've got some. I would dare say that every family represented here tonight has borne some poor soul's burden down to the gate. Might be your children, might be your grandchildren, might be your neighbors, might be your friends, but you've carried a burden for them and you brought them down to the gate. Now, if we could just come together in one mind and one accord, the gates could swing open and they could get their deep supply. All right. An old boy that needed some help. He was just hoping for a few little coins. But he got some more precious than gold. <laughs> John asks every, every service just about, do you know somebody's lost? I'm going to ask you this, are you saved? Are you saved? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm sure Gala couldn't write you a check big enough for your salvation. You'd refuse that and tear it all to pieces. Donald Trump has a lot of money. He couldn't write you a check big enough for the salvation that Jesus gave you. You'd refuse that, wouldn't you? Because it's more precious than any amount of money you could ever get in this life. I'm here to tell you today, it costs heaven the best 
that it had. It didn't cost heaven. It cost God his only begotten son. How could you put a price on something as precious as salvation? This man was hoping for just a few coins to get him by to the next day. But when Peter and John walked by and he asked it all, Peter said, silver and gold have I done. But such as I have, he was hoping just to get to the next day. He got something that was going to see it through eternity. But such as I have, give I thee. And you know how he got it? The same way he told this man he was going to give it. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, right here sits a lady that does a lot of help. She's a physical therapy person. She goes and works with people who cannot take steps on their own. I've seen her in action. She does a good job. And maybe with enough visits and enough training, they might eventually get to where they can walk and, and get by on their own for a few days. When Peter told the man that, the man that had lain there, at the gate for 40 years. How long is your person laying at the gate? Been two years? Has it been five years? Has it been 10 years? Has it been 40 years? I'm preaching you a message of hope today. You may have been brought your person that's been lame. That you may have brought your person that could not help themselves. You may have brought your person, preacher, they're not here tonight. Did you bring their name to Jesus? You brought them down to the gate then. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. This man laid for 40 years. And yet Jesus had what he needed and supplied his every need. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. If you just knew what I have, you wouldn't even ask me for money. <laughs> Give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now let's be real careful when we're talking about this scripture. I'm going to go through what most people consider the miracle. But it wasn't the best miracle. It wasn't the biggest one. Peter got him by the right hand, lifted him up. How else are our sinners going to get the help they need if we don't lift them up? And this, this is what the Bible says. And I said that about Lisa to say this. She works over a period of days and time and maybe even months and years so that people can be self-sufficient and walk on their own. When Jesus got a hold of this man who had been lame for 40 years, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. I, I, I saw Lisa work with my father, and he would stagger, and he would scoot his feet, and stumble around, and just take a few steps at a time. This man went running and leaping and got John and Peter by the heart and went into the temple praising Jesus. That's what Jesus can do when He supplies your everything. Amen. 
was just a beggar. And we see the priest at the temple. Perhaps he had a robe on. Perhaps he had one of the, one of the hats that was of the silky material. You know what I'm talking about. Jewel encrusted. White linen robe, I don't know. This is just conjecture on my part. I have no scripture whatsoever for this. Maybe we see the Levite that are dressed in their garment to signify their position in the church. I don't know, maybe deacons. I don't know. And then we see the little man just rags. Nothing that nobody would hit me. Nothing that nobody would want. <laughs> He's just wanting just a little bit just to make it to the next day. Many people passed him by, no doubt. Many people walked like the priest did to the man that fell among thieves between Jericho and Jerusalem. Many people probably passed him by like the priest did and walked over on the other side. What looked at him like the Levite did, maybe with indignation as to why he would sit right in front of the temple at the gate. But when Jesus saw him, he saw something worth redeeming. He saw something of value. He saw something precious. Don't ever let anybody tell you that God doesn't love you. He sent the best that heaven had so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be made whole, so that He could take the broken pieces of your heart and put them back together again, so that He could take the ragged garment that you've been wearing on this earth. And I'm not talking about shirts. I'm not talking about pants. I'm talking about that garment of sin. He washes you and makes you clean and presents you with a white robe, a fit subject for the kingdom of heaven. You will never get clean enough to get there on your own. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Juanita Mama used to swear on Tide. She'd use it all the time, but it can't do what the blood of Jesus can. <laughs> Just a beggar. He probably wasn't on the program that morning. He probably wasn't part of the service that they had planned out. But he went running. Now, preacher... Let me tell you something. When the power of God's in something, it's in order. And when it's not, you'll know it. It'll be blatantly obvious. All right. Just a beggar. 
Who am I? I'm a nobody. Why would he do anything for me? Well, let's cover that. There was a woman of Samaria. No, she wasn't. Of Cana. A woman of Cana. That had a daughter that was grievously sick. She made her way down to the Savior because no doubt she might have heard what Jesus had done for Jairus' daughter. She might have heard what Jesus had done for Legion. She might have been neighbors, I don't know, with the woman that had the issue of blood and saw the difference that Jesus had made in her life. And so she placed her faith, she placed her trust in this man that wasn't of her nationality. We think we've got an attitude these days that they're not like us. We don't need them. I'm here to tell you today, we're all God's children. And Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary for every nationality, for every tongue, for every ethnicity. He loved. Thank you, Lord. He loved the little children. And I'm just privileged to be one of them. She cried out to get his attention. And the disciples said, why don't you just send her away? She's not one of the children of Israel. They may not look like us. They may have tattoos from the tip of their toes to the crown of their head. They may not look like us. They may have a big nose ring in, ears pierced. Eyebrows pierced, tongue pierced. They may not look like us. They all have a soul. And they all need salvation. She's not one of us, Jesus. You just sent her away. And when he finally responded to her, he said, I'm not sent but to the children of Israel. He said, it's not meat that I should take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. That's us. Don't you consider yourself anything. We're just sinners. Nobody that I know with under the sound of my voice this evening is of the, of the Israelite race. Of the Jewish race. We're just like that woman from Cana. He said, It's not meat that I should take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. She said, So, Lord, yes, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall. From the master's table. I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to sit at the table. Just let me crawl out underneath there and have a crumb and I'll shout glory. It's so hard that even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You want more scripture for that? Go read about Mephibosheth. 
the king had him set at his table. And it meant so much to him that the earthly inheritance that he was supposed to get, he was more than willing to throw that away and give it up just for the privilege to sit at the king's table. All this we got down here don't make any difference anyway. Just what he gave us is all that matters. Amen. Let me cover one more and then I'll hush. <coughs> Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man that was clothed in purple and fire and linen and fired sumptuously every day. And there was also a beggar. The Bible says he was full of sores, laid at the gate of the rich man daily. And moreover, the dogs came. Now there's a lot more to this than what we want to think of. The dogs came and licked his sores. That's nasty, preacher. Who do you think the dogs are? Us. We were considered as dogs, outcasts, unworthy. It's our responsibility to be there when people need us. Let's go on. And the rich man died. And in hell, this is... Now, I know I misquote things sometimes. Don't hold that against me. But if I'm not mistaken, this is word for word with not one thing interjected in between. The rich man also died. And in hell, he lift up his eyes. There's nothing happened from the time the last breath left his body to the time he lift up his eyes. There's no other action. We don't read about Lazarus between the time the rich man's breath left his body and the time he lift up his eyes. We don't read about his will being read. We don't read about him praying. I read about the second that his heart quit beating. The second that his lungs quit filling with air in hell. He lift up his eyes. Let me tell you where he's at today. He's still in hell. He's still lifting up his eyes, looking up in torment. He's in trouble. He's in agony where the word dies not and the fire is not quenched. Where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever. Now you may differ with me on different beliefs and things like that, but that's one thing I think we can agree on. Hell is real. And real men and women, boys and girls, go there. The beggar died also. And every time Marty sings the song, Angel Band, I think about the scripture. The angels came. Now listen. Two men 
one of them has a name, one of them doesn't. The rich man no doubt had his name on plaques all over creation. But it wasn't registered with God. The only thing we ever hear about this man being called in the Bible is the rich man. No name. But this beggar who was shunned, who was stepped over, who was dressed shabbily and poorly, this beggar who everybody ignored and looked down on, this beggar who the rich man no doubt walked over day after day and thought to himself, I would that they wouldn't bring this man to sit in front of my mansion as influential as I am and as important as I am. I wish they wouldn't leave him there. But listen, there was a purpose in Lazarus being there. He had a job to do. I don't care how poor you are, how rich you are. If you're saved by the grace of God, He's given you a duty. He's given you a job. He's given you a task. And that's to uplift His name and be a witness to a lost and dying world. We don't read about it, but I can just see Lazarus witnessing to this rich man. He may have dismissed it. He may have said there's nothing to that. But I believe God gives every man, woman, boy, and girl a chance for salvation. What they do with it is entirely up to them. Well, preacher, you don't know me. I read where there's only one sin that's unforgivable. It's blaspheming the Holy Ghost, and this is exactly what I think it is. Whenever you sit and God is dealing with you, wanting you to be saved, and you turn that away, He's not going to overlook that. When you reject Him and you turn Him away, when He's giving you His Spirit and His presence, and that drawing power is upon you, I believe sinners need to be convicted. I don't think we can pull them up and run them to the altar and say you're saved. I don't think that does a thing in the world. But to see you again. I'm here to tell you, if God's big enough to save you, He's big enough to draw you to an altar. It don't have to be here. It don't have to be over there. It don't have to be over here. I'll tell you where it needs to be. I'll tell you exactly where you need to be saved. He's nigh to them that are of a broken heart and will save such as be of a contrite spirit. Let me get back to Lazarus. The angels came and carried him to Abraham's bosom. He begged for crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And all the man's riches did him no good when death came. Did you know money can't buy you one more day? Did you know money can't draw can't buy you one more bread? We're on entering the second round of this virus that's going around, this new variant. And now it's hitting people my age and younger. Healthy people. People in their 20s, people in their 30s that thought they had a long life to live. And many of them are on ventilators right now. They can't draw a single breath. On their own. Money can't buy you time. 
Money can't buy you mercy. Money can't buy you grace. But it's freely given by the Lord. <clears throat> Let me say this. Preacher, when will I be saved? When you want more than anything. When all that matters to you, now listen, Satan will lay all kinds of things on your mind. Did you know that? Well, he does me that way. Johnny, there's a lot of things I thought I knew. But I found out I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. But I know one thing for sure. I've been saved by the grace of God. Now, Satan don't like that. And he don't like me telling you that. And he'll work his best to keep me from trying to witness for the Lord. He'll, he'll drive you crazy to keep you from focusing on the goodness of God. He'll lay every trick, he'll lay every trouble and trial in a Christian's path to keep them from focusing on the salvation of their kindred and acquaintances. Sinner, he'll lay everything on your mind. He'll have you so troubled and you'll look over the mercy of a living God. You'll ignore the pleas of the church and of God's people begging you to be saved by His marvelous grace. I'm here to tell you any trouble that you have on this earth is irrelevant in comparison to where you're going to spend eternity. As a matter of fact, Father Abraham tells the rich man that in this life, he had everything he wanted. But in the following life, he said, Lazarus is comforted, and thou art tormented. Listen, don't you have enough trouble already? Don't you have enough things driving you crazy? Don't you have enough things to worry about? Why would you want to spend an eternity in that same state? Because that's what people in hell are doing right now. Beg. Beg. You remember the scripture, the unjust steward? He said, I don't know what I'll do. And he went and made deals with people that owed his master money. He said, I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. David was the king of Israel. He's one of the most loved humans we read about in the Bible. But we read where he had to beg. We read where he prayed and said, Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. We're not beyond begging. Now here we sit tonight, and I'll be done in about five minutes. Here we sit tonight, I can't speak for your household. I can only speak for mine. But I would dare say every one of us represented here tonight has children, grandchildren, family, loved ones. We would love to see in the house of God all the pews and all the altars. 
Maybe they were here in past years and they're not here today. Maybe they've never darkened the door of a church. But I'm here to tell you the only way we're going to see God work on them is if we fall on our face and we beg Him to intervene. <laughs> now let's do more than just depend on Him. Let's put legs on them priors. How are they going to know they're wanted if we don't ask them to come? I appreciate what Gary had to say on the altar here a few minutes ago. Two different families that he met today. He said when he, got, when he talked to them, he invited them to come to church. Now, I don't know that we'll see them come through the door. I hope we do. We can at least say there's a chance that they might walk through the door. Had Gary never mentioned Dutch Bottoms Baptist Church, had he never took the time to show those people that he cared and invite them this direction, I can almost guarantee you with certainty they'd never walk through the door. You've got to have faith and you've got to be a witness. Use the mouth that God gave you to work for Him. That may sound simple. I can tell you I love you all day long, but if I never do anything, are you really going to believe that? We were all just beggars. But listen, this is what we also are. A peculiar people. A royal priesthood. A chosen generation. My name was recorded in 1966 on July the 21st on a piece of paper, and I'm now in possession of that paper that pronounces me to be the son of J.D. Strange and Patsy Hubbard Strange. And that don't mean a thing to this world. I don't get any extra money. I don't get a nicer place to live. That means nothing. Long about 1976, my name was written down again. And there's never been a man lay eyes on that, on that name. It's sealed in a book with seven seals, written within and without. But I know my name is there. <laughs> and one day, the Lamb... We'll loosen the seals and open the book and he'll call my name. And this little beggar boy, let me tell you something. When I got saved, I had my pajama pants on. I was eight years old, Cookie. had my pajama pants on. Still beside a little half bed. And I would almost guarantee you if salvation would have cost $20, my family would have had a hard time coming up with that at that time. But the Lord didn't ask for that. The price had already been paid. It was free to me. Heaven paid the best that it had. He paid the price for our salvation so that this beggar could become a child of the King. 
Now I'm not special. You're the pastor. That don't make any difference. I've got a calling. But I got my salvation just like you did. Down on my knees. Just a beggar. If he'd save me, he'll save you. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the King James? I'm going to specify. What is the verse? It says, let us, less than any time we let, let them slip. Pay the more, more earnest teed, I believe it is. So let's pay the more earnest teed. That's the any time we should let it slip. <coughs> Do you believe the King James Version Bible? How often have I had to preach this at Dutch Bottoms? What does it say for you to do? Ask, and you shall receive. Now you said you believe the Bible. If you ask for it, believe God's going to give it to you. Look for it. Expect it. For with God, all things are possible. It don't matter how hard-hearted they are. God can break them down. It don't matter how much hatred and bitterness they've got in their life. God can melt that stony heart. It don't matter if they've said, I'll never. God can make them eat those words. All we've got to do is big. Even the unjust king, when that widow woman went to him over and over and over, he regarded neither God nor man, but he granted the unjust widow her petition because she continuously sought him. She would not leave him alone. And he gave her her petition because she was faithful to ask. Now, if a man that regarded neither God nor man would grant a petition such as that, you raised three. They come to you and said, Daddy, I need such and such. You do everything you could. If they come to you and said, Dad, I need such and such, you'd do everything you possibly could. If we ask God, and He's our Father, I even read where He made the time to go back, where He put the sun back in the sky. He moved the sun back 10 degrees just to show Hezekiah that He was going to keep the promise. He promised us our household. He's going to give it to us. I believe that, don't you? If our children aren't on the altar today and we beg God, we need to expect them to be here Sunday morning. We need to beg God. We don't need to point the finger. We don't need to tell them how sorry they are. 
We don't need to tell them what they're doing is wrong. We need to tell them God loves them. And condemnation will shut up on their heart and He'll show them that they're wrong. You can't beat somebody into repentance. You just got to love them and let God draw them there. You want Scripture? The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. How many times have you asked God for something and He's come through for you? How many times have you asked God for something that your mate couldn't do, but God could and He did? How many times have you asked God for something that your parents couldn't do, but God could and He did? hard I know but you know why we're in the shape we're in in this land and country you know why our church is in the shape that it's in you know why Baptists are in the shape that they're in you have not because you ask them. or you ask and you ask amiss I believe God wants to get serious with us I believe we should be serious with Him. I don't think we need to go through a form of fashion, even though I've done it, and you have too. I don't think we need to go through our little hab- habitual prayers that we do. <coughs> Can you imagine how great Dutch Bottoms Baptist Church would be if we got down and stayed until we knew we had prayed and we had talked to Him and He had talked to us? That's what prayer is. And here's what the Bible says about it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We just need to start begging. It don't matter whether I've got a suit on. It don't matter whether you've got a $300 dress on. It matters what's in our heart and what we desire. And if we desire God and His Spirit and His power, it will show if we beg. <coughs> this is what the Bible says in our hush. He knows what we have need of before we ask. Now, I, I raised three. I worked where they went to school. So I knew whenever the movie was coming up or the show or the fundraiser or whatever it was, I knew they'd need a dollar for this or a dollar for that. But it made me feel better about the situation if they just come and ask for it. Anything God feels. We just expect Him to pour out the blessings, don't we? We are, we're sinners. We're beggars. Yes, He's given us more than we've ever deserved. But if we want something, if we need something, we need to ask. We need to beg. How about you? Have you got what you need? Now listen. (coughs) Chester Brady, this was his seat right here. He's the one I was telling you about 
And when we sang the Days of the Week song, Glory, 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 on Saturday, this was him right here. He'd stand up right here and raise his hand. His, his sister Mary said he was in the house Friday. And they were laughing and telling jokes and cutting up. He was laughing as he walked out the door, had a big smile on his face. And just a few minutes after that, he hit the ground and was dead before he hit the ground. Don't put it off. Don't wait. Well, he was an old man preacher. Death can find you right where you're at. There's not a guarantee of any of us getting home tonight. How many, I've lived on 25E all my life. You know how many, how many accidents, how many times people have got killed just along this highway alone? But for the grace of God, it could be me or you. If this is it, do you have what you need for eternity? <coughs> have you asked God? Because <coughs> death is going to find you. If you've got an appointment with it. I know they say exercise. And I can't tell you that that's bad for you. I can't. They say eat right and diet. And I can't tell you that that's bad for you. It might make the quality of your life better. They say get the vaccine. And I did that because I didn't want to be sick. I believe God's got my day out there. When he says, that's my day, that's my day. Amen. Now, that don't mean that the lifestyle I live between here and there, that I can't make better. I can be healthier. I can have maybe fewer colds. I could have maybe more healthy days. But when I get to that day, that's it. See, our choices affect our life. But when I get to that day, what did I just tell you? Our choices affect our life, don't it? I chose Jesus when I was eight year old. I'm ready for that day. Amen. I'm ready for that day. I've got exactly what I need because I begged him. I begged him to save me. Are you ready? Should death find you right now? Are you ready? <laughs>